Hey guys, Rob Skiba here, continuing my archive series of shows and conferences and interviews that uh, I've either done or been on in the past. Uh, I just recently posted the first lecture I ever gave on the public speaking circuit, that being Mythology and the Coming Great Deception. That was given at the Future Congress conference in Branson, Missouri in 2011. And uh, the same day, later that evening, much later that evening, uh, I was on a view from the bunker with Derek Gilbert, and I was uh, part of a panel of people that were being interviewed. It was uh, myself, Jeff Patty, and Russ Dizdar uh, that were interviewed for this particular broadcast, talking about Contending with the Supernatural, which aired July 23rd, 2011. All right, so here we go. Live from the Future Congress on Emerging Threats and Challenges in Branson, Missouri, I'm Derek Gilbert. This is A View from the Bunker. Welcome to everyone in the room here tonight. Thank you for being here. Let's hear a little bit of noise, please, if we don't, if you don't mind. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. Just to prove to the folks in the chat room tonight at blogtalkradio.com slash PID radio that there are in fact a there is in fact a live studio audience here. And uh, given the lateness of the hour and the lack of sleep we've had the last couple of days before the end of the program tonight, we may be turning to you for contents here, questions and uh, <laughs> guidance. Uh, our guest tonight, and we are still waiting on uh, one, and uh, he had warned me that he might be a little bit late getting here this evening, so we will, uh, uh, I think we've got plenty to talk about uh, regardless. Our first, uh, let me bring in award-making, award-winning, you can see already, I'm off to a crawling start here, award-winning filmmaker, author, artist, an Army veteran, and we thank you for that, sir, and former missionary, currently in pre-production of the new biblically-based sci-fi television series, Seed. He's the host of the Revolutionary Radio Project, which you'll find on Blog Talk Radio. It's our honor to welcome Rob Skiba, this time in person. Yeah. Thanks, Derek. Great <laughs> to right. be back. A little applause. Thank you. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Thank you. Make it much more interesting for the folks at home and for the DVD, yeah. those of you in the corners back here. Uh, next, we uh, welcome a gentleman who's worked in the Christian retail and publishing industries for the last 15 years. We're racing here, vamping, while we see if we can get it, uh, get the introduction done in time. Here, you want to run that cord back over your shoulder if you can. There we go. But just kind of toss it over your right shoulder and get that uh, cord out of your way there. All right. Um, worked in Christian retail and publishing for 15 years and has developed a passion for apologetics, which is... Uh, uh, sorely needed in this hour. He's written for Rapture Ready and uh, the American Family Association and uh, is presenting this weekend here on a couple of interesting topics which have attracted the attention of a lot of our youth these days, uh, ghosts and especially vampires. It's our honor to welcome Jeff Patty to the conversation. Jeff, thanks for joining us. Thanks. All right. You might want to, again, just check, see if we can get that cord out of the way or it's going to rub against the microphone and cause problems for most of the evening here. Yeah, so you can loop, loop that uh, around the microphone there. I think. There we go. We'll get that settled. The, the basic uh, theme of the night will be the supernatural realm and um, how we interface with it. If the Apostle Paul knew what he was writing about, and I assume that he did, uh, he tells us that as Christians, our contest on this earth is not against flesh and blood, human opponents, but against 
powers and principalities. Um, Rob, uh, your thoughts. What was the Apostle Paul writing about? Well, as you were talking, I was thinking about the supernatural, and it's become. I've become more and more aware lately that the supernatural seems to be almost more real than the natural. Um, but when I think about that, just off the top of my head, I was thinking about a book that came out, I think it was in the 80s, called This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. Yeah. And I thought he did a fantastic job of illustrating the spiritual warfare that takes place every day. And just the reality that, you know, everywhere all around us, there are spiritual entities, both good and bad. Uh, interacting with us on a regular basis, and uh, I think we need to be more aware of that um, if, in order to do our job effectively as believers. But Jeff, now, how uh, how seriously do we Christians in general take the supernatural realm? I mean, do we treat it as though it's as real as what we see around us with our natural eyes? Uh, personally, I don't think that most Christians do. I think that uh, uh, most Christians just don't see it as... Um, just as real as as it is it's uh i think the the people at this conference this weekend uh, i believe they do they understand they have a lot of discernment i mean that's been my my take so far for the weekend but um i, I think in general they don't it's um just something they've not been uh taught by the church uh, strongly enough i don't believe why why is that do you think uh i, I don't really I don't know. The, the the church has kind of dropped the ball, in my opinion, the last few decades in, in really uh, uh, teaching the the Christians and the believers um, uh, about what what we're up against. You know, the, the principalities and the powers um, that we can't see. Yeah, I was, I was thinking that when you're reading the Bible, especially the New Testament. They're they're having issues with demons on a regular basis. It seems like every other page you turn and there's something going on there. It's like nobody ever really talks about that anymore, and, and you know it makes you think, well, where'd they go? Well, they're still here. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they've gotten a little bit more creative in, in how they do the things that they do to disguise themselves. I think uh, I was thinking of, about the uh, Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic book. If, I mean, if you haven't read it, I suggest you, you check it out, because it really shows, I think, how the demons like to work. And it's not, I don't think their their most effective tactic is not to be the fire-breathing, let's chew off bat heads like Ozzy Osbourne type stuff. It's in the church. You know, it's the religious spirit. It's the, you know, it's the gossiping. It's all these, these are little things. There's much bigger things from there. But Screw Tape Letters, I think, illustrates very nicely how I think the demons work uh, in our day. Mm. Anyway. There, there's a, a great line from one of our favorite films, The Usual Suspects. In fact, we've yeah. clipped some audio that we use for the introduction to our radio program, PID Radio, yeah. uh, in which the uh, the protagonist, who eventually turns out to be the villain, uh, a verbal Kent says, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Yep. How effective, Jeff, do you think that's been? It's been very effective. Yeah, it's uh, that either doesn't exist or he's uh you know this this little man in a, a devil outfit with the the horns and the pointy tail you know it's it's it, it's been very effective yeah. how does the supernatural realm manifest today i mean here in our western society we assume that if we can't measure it scientifically somehow if we can't physically perceive it with our eyes ears nose it doesn't really exist so how do we discern the working of the supernatural realm 
in, in the world around us? I think it really requires a uh, in advance spending time in prayer to to be to be open and sensitive to the move of the Holy Spirit telling you things. I've had a lot of interactions with people in the I was in the mission field for six and a half years, uh, both foreign and domestic. And and on the domestic side, there's a scripture based self help program that I'm a part of that actually helped save my life a few years ago. And I was working with this guy, and I, and I pray heavily before I go into specifically when I'm doing that weekend. Uh, Lord, let me be your oracle. Let me see through your eyes. Let me hear through your ears. Let me, you know, speak through my lips, touch through my hands. And so I'm praying that way in advance uh, quite a bit. And I was dealing with this one guy, and he was, you know, every now and then people give you a hard time, and he was giving me a hard time. So you got to kind of discern what's somebody just being a jerk, <laughs> and what's spiritual. <laughs> uh, but this individual clearly man started to manifest um, some spiritual things, and we were having an amazing time of victory with a lot of people getting a lot of victory. And and that much of the move of the Holy Spirit was going through the group and, and the demon that was in that guy. And I say that because it really started to manifest. That demon got uncomfortable <laughs> with what was going on. And I think as believers, we have to be able to identify that, first of all, to, to see what that is, but also know the power that's within us to take authority over that. You know, everybody else just wants to medicate it or, you know, put the guy in the latest, you know, pharmacia. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, but really, it's a demonic spirit, and and you talk to the spirit, not the person. Mm -hmm. And I've I've learned in some cases to be able to see and identify and say, look, get out. <laughs> you know, uh, and and in this particular case, it did. Hmm. It couldn't be there, because I know that other people saw what I was doing with this guy, and they started praying too. And it's just like in in the in the book I mentioned earlier, this present darkness. It was the prayers of, of I think it was Edith. Keeler or something. I don't remember the, the older lady in town. Mm -hmm. She was like the prayer warrior of the town. And whenever the old lady prayed, it empowered the good angels uh, to fight, so to speak, in, in that story. And so there's definitely power in prayer. Um, but we have to be aware of that. The uh, so, so do we as Christians then um, make a, uh, a mistake in assuming that when the supernatural manifests, it's always going to be something like that? We're actually going to see uh, a, a, a visual confirmation in you know, somebody's actions or whatever, uh, where it's obvious that there's a demon manifesting. I mean, yeah. is there, are there more? Does the, does the supernatural realm interact with us in more subtle ways? I think it. I think it does both. I think it can be very subtle, but um, I believe it definitely manifests itself in ways that can be seen. And, uh, and I, I, my personal belief is it's just going to grow stronger and stronger and more. Uh, more obvious uh, in these last days. I think we're just, uh, you know, Satan knows he's running out of time, and I think that the, it's just going to get more and more uh, noticeable as, mm. as time goes. But We're getting some interesting questions here in the chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash PID radio. In fact, uh, we've got a gentleman over there in the corner I see is in the chat room there. Thank you, Connie. Uh, we had a question, and I, I want to take this into some of the more uh, esoteric realms. Um, and I think necessarily when we start talking about the supernatural realm, just because of our limited perception as humans, that we, we have to speculate to some degree. I mean, as long as we don't get into an area where we're adding to Scripture or taking away from Scripture, as long as it's a theory that can, can, can fit within the guidelines that we see in Holy Scripture, uh, we, we can you know, develop some working theories about what exactly we're contending with here. Um, what do we know about the angelic realm and those who remain faithful to the Lord and those who have rebelled against the Lord? Well, Scripture talks about one-third of the angels following Lucifer. 
So right off the bat, he's outnumbered two to one. So we know that we've got more than he has. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least from my research, I, I think we have to dif- differentiate between fallen angels and demons. And from my research, I do not believe that demons are fallen angels. I believe fallen angels are fallen angels. I believe demons are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim, mm-hmm. which is spoken about in Genesis chapter 6, the offspring of angels mating with human. Uh, when the bodies of the Nephilim were destroyed, the spirits went out, and books like the Book of Enoch says that they shall be called evil spirits. They are always looking for a host to inhabit. They need a body. You know, the angels have bodies. They're fine. They do. They do their own thing. But you know, there's the demons. Uh, you know, like, hey, uh, put us in the pigs. You know, put, put us anywhere. Yeah. But but don't send us to the abyss. Right. And so uh, I think I think it's important to know the difference there. Uh, I think when we're talking about fallen angels, that's when you're talking about principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places, kind of the thrones, dominions. Right. right. They're they're the you know puppet masters, I guess you could say, and the demons are more like the minions, the worker bees, I guess. So, so those those uh, description or those that's terms that that Paul, Paul uses in the New mm-hmm. Testament: principalities, powers, thrones, dominions. Mm-hmm. Are those ranks of angels? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe I believe so. Definitely believe that there's ranks, uh, and uh, I think the Bible makes it pretty clear that you know there um, there are some that are just more powerful you mm-hmm. know than others. Yeah. But um, uh, you know, I, I believe that's kind of a uh, an area that's uh, where a lot of Christians, um, I, as far as the whole thing about like people being possessed, uh, I believe it, it's it's uh, a lot more prevalent than than we realize because people I just think uh, they don't really think that it happens anymore, but these people that just do these horrible crimes, uh, whether they're serial killers or whatever it may be, you know I, I believe it's you know, in my opinion, they're probably possessed, but it's just it's just played down, and it's not it's not really believed that it happens anymore. And mm-hmm. you know, like was discussed earlier, you know, they just medicate them or you know rehabilitate them or whatever, mm-hmm. and that's not the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And as we record this on July the 23rd of 2011, of course, there's a story coming out of Norway, and I don't know how familiar you are in the audience with this uh, tra- tragic, uh, horrific event that's uh, been coming to light over the last uh, 24 hours or so of a gentleman there. Uh, 32 years old, who is uh, accused of opening fire at a youth camp in uh, near Oslo, Norway. Um, and uh, as of uh, last check, just before coming downstairs here tonight, they're reporting 82 dead. 82 dead plus another seven in a bombing that this gentleman's connected to. And I use that term very loosely. Um, how do, what, what do we make of events like that? Are, are these the kind of things that are just the result of a chemical imbalance in somebody's brain? Or as one uh, police officer or official in Norway said, this is the work of a madman? How do we as Christians interpret this? Oh, I think it's definitely demonic. Uh, I mean, I, yeah, the people do bad things, but there's just, there's this is a level that's over and above just you know doing a bad thing. Uh, this is clearly demonic. And, you know, I think by and large the church has dropped the ball, and I'm speaking about myself here, I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, is that, you know, we have authority over these things. We do. Uh, and so if you cast it out, it's got to go. But you have to believe that. You have to, you have to know it. You have to believe it. You can't guess. You, you know, you don't, you don't take a knife to a gunfight, as they say. <laughs> you know, you've got to know what you're doing. Yeah. Or you'll get, you know, like the sons of Skiva. You know, my last name's Skiva, so I want to be, want to be sure I'm not associated with the Skivas. Right? It's a B, not a V, right? You know, they, they had their lunch handed to them, so to speak. Yeah. Um, 
coming back to the question of the Nephilim, and by the way, you'll be happy to hear that Chuck Missler agrees with your, your working theory on the Nephilim, uh, mm -hmm. the demons being this, the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. Um, where did the Nephilim come from? Mm. Well, I think Genesis 6 is pretty plain. It, it says that the sons of God came down to the daughters of men and created some translations say giants, but I, I, Nephilim. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, unfortunately, seminaries and a lot of people out there teaching that it's the Sethite theory, that the, the sons of Seth mated with the daughters of Cain. And I said, well, kissing cousins don't produce 18-footers like Aga Bashan. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't work. Uh, and it just boggles my mind that people even believe it in the first place because, you know, it's the Bana Elohim, if I'm pronouncing that right, is the same phrase in Hebrew used in the book of Job when the angels are presenting themselves before God. Right, so right. those scholars have no problem accepting that those are angels in Job, but the same phrase used in Genesis, no, 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 no it's Seth and Cain, uh, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about the supernatural realm on a view from the bunker, live from the... Uh, yeah, and you can tell this is really live here. <laughs> let's, let's hope that that's all right. No, that's okay. I mean, we don't need to close the doors necessarily, but uh, I just hope whoever was out there in the hallway is all right. Uh, we're, we're live at the... Uh, Get out in the name of Jesus. There you go. <laughs> live from the uh, future Congress on emerging threats and challenges, and we've just identified one in the hallway. <laughs> We're talking with Rob Skiba, filmmaker. His website is seedtheseries.com. And Jeff Patty, uh, Christian apologist and author, he writes at prophecymatters.com. Um, so we've got the Nephilim uh, identified then as uh, the uh, the disembodied spirits, or rather the uh, demons, rather, as the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. Question from the chat room regarding uh, angels and um, how we interact with them. Where in Scripture do we find that our prayers have an effect on angelic intervention or activity? Hmm. That's a tough one. Yeah. yeah, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Hmm. Because I know that there's there's some common belief there uh, that that is the case. Mm -hmm. Is that something that we found in Scripture, or is this something that we've sort of... Frank Peretti. <laughs> Assumed from Frank Peretti, <laughs> yeah, right. right. <laughs> you know, first Peretti, Chapter 2, you know. Uh, um, we know that the well, Lord will use angels to, to help and assist, and we are told to pray to God the Father, not to pray, mm -hmm. pray to angels. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, but to pray to God for his assistance, and uh, uh, presumably that uh, God can use angelic intervention mm -hmm. uh, for protection. We're told to uh, be kind to strangers because we, we may be entertaining angels without knowing it. Yeah. Um, yeah but not, not to go off topic on that, but I, I believe that happens probably more frequently than we realize that we interact with angels unaware, uh, especially... If you're going through a really bad time, I can speak for myself. Uh, I've been through some pretty rough times, and, and God, I know that he has sent angels. Uh, and usually they come in the form, of, strangely enough, of homeless people, hmm. at least in my case. Um, I, I found that, you know, if you, you reap what you sow. <laughs> so if you're you're lacking something, we'll start sowing it, <laughs> you know, because yeah, yeah. you'll reap it. And you know, whenever I'm going through a really difficult time, for whatever reason, I have a heightened sensitivity for other people going through uh, sensitive or difficult times. And and a lot of times it takes on the form of seeing the guy that I probably saw all the time but just never noticed him you know, on the side of the road with a sign or whatever. And, and any time I interact with a homeless person like that, I'll usually invite them into the car so we can have a conversation and just talk. I'm not going to just give them, you know, 10 bucks or whatever. I want to I want to know his story. And, man, i got to tell you, nine times out of ten, they bless me more than I bless them. I don't care how much money I might give the guy. Whatever he spoke, whatever he says to me usually feeds me more than I do him. 
And then after he leaves, I'm looking to see if he disappears and <laughs> get <Yeah>. some wings. <laughs> um, you know, I don't know if that's the case all the time, but I believe that, at least in my life, there have been certain times where people like that have been angels, I think, unaware. Yes, I agree. And so if that's true, then the reverse must also be true <laughs> of the bad guys. Yes. Some, sometimes, and uh, they, they, as you say, they don't appear as the, you know, the, the fire-breathing, head-spitting, pea-soup-vomiting. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Guttural voice guy, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Pea soup, yeah. <laughs> um, so, w- what about territorial spirits? I, this is something that we we, uh, we will sometimes hear uh, in the context of, uh, uh, of prayer warfare, yeah, um, and 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 praying against territorial spirits. In fact, we've we've seen uh, some very public uh, examples of this uh, in, in the last year. There was a, there was an event on May Day last year in in front of the Washington Monument. Which I thought was a little odd. Christians gathering at uh, <laughs> on Beltane at dawn for a worship service in front of the world's giant, uh, you know, world's yeah. biggest obelisk. Yeah. But that aside, <laughs> that aside, if you know the symbolism of the obelisk, you know why that's kind of an odd thing. We won't go, get graphic. Um, but but as part of this this particular event, uh, representatives of all 50 states came forward and and wanted to uh, you know repent repent and pay and pray against the territorial spirits that were that were afflicting their their regions. Um, and uh, you know to be honest, I had some issues with the way that was done. But the concept of, of territorial spirits is that is that scriptural? Oh, I believe it definitely is. Uh, the, the Prince of Persia comes to mind right off the top of my head. In the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, yeah. And, you know, this may be a little controversial, but a lot of people uh, wonder who the being is that's speaking with Daniel in, in Daniel chapter 9 through 12. Uh, a lot of people think it's Gabriel, but I don't believe it is because Gabriel's mentioned by name prior, and there's no, no problem calling him Gabriel. Uh, and the description given of that particular entity um, is almost word for word verbatim the same exact description given by John in the book of Revelation for the <clears throat> for Yeshua in heaven. And so I started looking at that thinking, is that Jesus? Is that Yeshua? And the question would come up, well, then if it is, what's the deal with him being withheld you know, for 21 yeah. days fighting against the prince of Persia? If he's right. the son of God, what's up with that? Mm-hmm. And my wife turned to me and she said, well, yeah, but Hebrews said that for a little while he was made a little lower than the angels. So, wait a minute. So I go to start looking through Hebrews chapter 1 and 2, and sure enough, it does say that, that, that for a little while Jesus was made lower than the angels. And I believe that, that if that's true, then that could be what's going on in the Daniel passage, is that he was in the phase where he was still a little lower than the angels until he had accomplished his mission on earth, ascended back into heaven, and was glorified in heaven to be above all angels, above everything now. And I thought, wow, that's pretty amazing if if that's true when you look at it. And it, it takes on a whole lot of other significance, too, because, uh, you know, when you get to Daniel chapter 12 and they're talking about the last days and the end of everything, if that's Jesus, it's really kind of poetic. He says, okay, seal it up. Don't worry about it, Daniel. You know, seal up the book. It's for a later time. And I believe that's the same book that the Lamb in heaven later in, Re- in Revelation is the only one worthy to open the seven seals right there. But what's interesting about the passage, it says that he, he fought with the prince of Persia until Michael came and helped him out. And he did his thing with Daniel. And then he says, now I must go back and fight some more. And then after the prince of Persia, I'm going to fight the prince of Greece. And so if you look at the whole breakdown of Alexander the Great and you know that whole deal, it starts everything starts to make a lot of sense that, wow, 
when you look at history and the conquests of empires and whatnot, there are principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness orchestrating these things. Yeah. Good, good comment from the chat room here uh, about uh, praying and, and having angels then respond. Um, the believers in the book of Acts who prayed for Paul in prison. Mm, was it? Was, yeah, yeah. And, and then the angel came yeah. and released him from prison. Yeah, that's yeah. a good one. That is and, good. and of course, yeah. Peter was released from prison by an angel as well. Yes, and walked right out the door. Uh, and, and it's funny. That story's funny too because here's the here's the believers gathered together praying for Peter to be released. And then Peter comes and knocks on the door, and the, <laughs> the girl answers the door, and, no, I can't be Peter. We're praying for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> well, and but, that's a pretty awesome story. Well, well and that leads to another question, which, which leads to a topic, Jeff, that you've been presenting on this weekend. Uh, they thought Peter was a ghost when he got to the door. So given that as an opening, notice that professional segment. Yeah, that was opening. Yeah, 15 years <laughs> of radio didn't count for nothing. <laughs> the... Um, there's a fascination with the, the, the spirit realm in our society today. You can't turn on a channel on the cable box without finding uh, – and all of these supposedly educational channels like yeah. National Geographic and Discovery and History are all showing – even the science fiction channel, science mm-hmm. fiction channel, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> showing ghost hunter <laughs> shows. Um, so let's talk about that. What are ghosts, and do they exist? Uh, I believe they exist, but it's not – what uh, people believe and what's being, you know, taught by these shows. I mean, uh, it's um, it's just demons that uh, that they're communicating with, and these shows are interesting to watch because, uh, you know, like Ghost Hunters, for example, on Sci-Fi, I don't, I really don't believe they know what they're dealing with. Occasionally, if it's a really uh, mean spirit that they're dealing with. Uh, they'll they'll refer to it as a demon. This is a demon, but you know, ninety percent of the time, it's you know a loved one or it's just someone that has not moved on. And uh, um, I think that's very dangerous what they're they're doing, but also the message that they're giving other people. And and um, my personal experience with talking to to Christians, they're so uninformed today, and and just not all of them, but a lot mm-hmm. of them are, that because of these shows, and there's, like you said, there's so many, there's almost a new one every week on some channel. Uh, we're just bombarded with that, and so many of them today, if you ask them what a ghost is, they'll say that it's just, you know, it's someone that's not, you know, moved on yet, and that's just not biblical at all. So... So, uh, and, and I know some Christians who, who truly believe that that is the case, that... Uh, you know, I, I saw a butterfly today, and that was a sign from my, you know, aunt, whoever, that you know she's fine on the other side. Um, and, and I wish I was making that up. Um, so, what are we, what are we contending with then? What, you know, what, why, what, what is it then that that is coming back and communicating through, like shows like uh, John Edward uh, and these so-called mediums? So who is communicating it's just through them? Demons. I mean, I that's uh, what I believe is. Uh, I just don't think there's any other explanation because the demons have been around for a long time, and they um, they watch people's lives. They're you know meddling in people's lives, and if someone does you know once they pass away, um, they they know that person's voice. They know 
things they experienced in life. They can they can talk about things, you know, like if someone is uh, is uh, you know communicating with them or mm-hmm. whatever. They they can talk about experiences they had that only maybe they would know and a loved one or two. And it, it's and and they can, you know, if they do manifest as far as like where you can physically see them or get a glimpse of them, you know, they can look like anyone that they want to and and uh that is so dangerous and it just deceives so many people because they believe they're talking to their long lost lost grandmother grandfather mm-hmm. and uh, you know they're they're talking with a demon to what end what what's what do these demons get out of this do they just enjoy messing with us well probably but uh, you know i i think most of it is you know if they can deceive people and and keep them from the truth from 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 the word, um, I mean that's just that is their ultimate goal is goal is to just deceive people and they never come to Christ. Mm-hmm. And if if they succeed at that, then they're you know happy if demons can be happy. So in other words, if they get uh, us to believe that no matter how you've lived your life, that once you pass on, you're in a better place. Oh yes, they okay. yeah they. As long as you just think, oh, there's this beautiful light, and you know I can embrace the light and move forward, and everything's just wonderful, and I can live however I want to live. Mm-hmm. Well, you know that's just and people, unfortunately, I believe a lot of people want that. They want to feel like they're going to be okay, but they they can live however they want, mm-hmm. and that's you know I think the case with so many of these you know false religions out there like Scientology and so forth. You know, I, th- I was just going to add to that that uh, you know you're talking about preventing people from coming to Christ, but it's also very enticing for people who are already believers to try to steer them away from seeking truth or wisdom or whatever from God. And and I can testify to that myself. I was working on a project back in the '90s that was really had some enormous potential. It was a thirty million dollar contract with Will Smith and a seventy million dollar contract with Tom Hanks. I mean, collectively, hundred million dollars. And uh, these were some pretty huge projects, and I walked into a bank just to open up a business bank account. That was my intention. I got to open up a business bank account, start getting some legal stuff in order, and, and I'm sitting in front of the branch manager of the bank, and and all of a sudden she gets all kind of not woozy, woozy you know, just kind of weird. And she goes, oh, she goes, you're making me nauseous. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm smelling my arms thinking, what the yeah. heck of a thing to say to a guy opening up a business account? <laughs> Do you know who you're talking to? <laughs> you know. Uh, then she goes, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. She goes, uh, she says to me, she says, your aura is so bright, it's overwhelming. And, uh. and that's not the first time I've heard that from just randomly in a crowd. Somebody would say something like that. And and it's that sort of thing seemed to, to uh, be around me for a while there in the 90s. But what happened was, she would go into automatic writing on her computer. She'd be talking talking to me and just... And then she'd look over at a computer and read me my mail. I mean, she would tell me what was going on in the past. She told me what I was doing in the present and started telling me a lot of things about the future. And then she said something that just prior to that, I was a helicopter pilot in the Army, and uh, the guy, you know, kind of like Goose and Maverick on uh, Top Gun, you know, he hmm. had his buddy that he flew with all the time. My, my buddy was uh, a guy by the name of Terry. And... um and he, we were really good friends, and we flew together all the time. Well, Terry got into a car wreck, an uh, SUV flipped, and he went through the windshield, and he was killed uh, just prior to that, just a couple of weeks prior to, to this bank situation. And so while uh, Rose was her name, when she started talking, uh, she said something that was had the inflection of Terry. You know, And she goes, somebody's here. And I didn't say anything. And, she, and she, then she starts making other statements that 
was kind of like lingo that Terry and I would have. And then she got real serious, and she told me, you need to deliver a message to Terry's brother, who was, I guess, in the Special Forces. I'm like, uh, okay. And she gave me some very specific things that Terry supposedly wanted to convey to his brother. And uh, and I was supposed to deliver this message. I'm thinking, I don't even believe in this stuff, you know. But, I mean, this was very convincing, you know. And so I really struggled with it, and I, and I picked up the phone later. I got home, and I, and I called Terry's brother, and I said, i I got to tell you something, and I, you're probably not going to believe me. And and where the message came from, to validate it, he said, remember the lights, that was me. And I didn't know what that meant. All I was told is to validate the story was to say to his brother, remember the lights, that was me. So I said that. The brother dropped the phone and freaked out, and the wife came in. And she said, what did you say? I said, I remember the lights, it was me. Well, apparently a couple of days ago it had been Terry's birthday. And when they were about ready, the, they had a candle, you know, cake and the whole deal, and, you know, he's dead. But they were kind of remembering Terry. Uh, when they went to blow out the candles, all the lights in the house went off. Hmm. And so when I said that, that appeared to validate my story that, that Rose had said to me. So, you know, I'm, now I'm thinking, oh, what's going on with this stuff, you know? And the instructions that I was to give him basically turned out to save the guy's life. Uh, in, a, in a, I think it was a paratrooper or something. Some, so it was some kind of technical thing that saved the guy's life. He told me later that he was sitting, uh, getting ready to do the jump out of the airplane, and he was kind of taking a nap. And he, he looked up, and he, and he said he saw his brother, Terry, sitting across from him right before the jump. And when he jumped, he had whatever malfunction it was, and, and that actually saved his life. Wow. So I think to myself, man, did, did, did me talking to Rose and hearing whatever this was from Terry just save this guy's life? You know, mm-hmm. and, and furthermore, it, it starts to become an addiction because I started making up excuses to you know deposit a quarter in the bank. So, <laughs> so that, because because Rose would tell me stuff, you know, and and I realized after a period of time, and, and this is no lie, I'm not kidding. Remember, Dion Warwick had the Psychic Network. Whatever? Yes, yes, yes. Psychic Friends Hotline, right? They called me. It was like two o'clock in the morning one night, and I got a call. I got a call. I didn't never call them. They called me. They called huh. me at home. And said, whatever you're working on, blah, 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 you know, the spirits, whatever, they told me, yada, yada, yada. There was this concerted effort on the part of the enemy to, to, to reel me in, and it was working. Um, in fact, it, it got to the point where there was a, uh, there was a palm reader uh, place. It was on the main drag near where, where I lived, and it was, it was like I was an alcoholic driving by a liquor store. I, and it was right at a red light, and inevitably I hit that red light, and I'd be like, I should go over there. And, and I started to realize this thing that happened to me. I grew up in a, in a Baptist church. My dad was a pastor. I accepted Christ when I was seven years old, but here I am thinking about consulting mediums. And, and it started to really, you know, I, what happened to me? You know, and, and the things that they were saying were, were good things to, to me and things that I wanted uh, for my life. Yeah. But finally I said, Lord, you know, whatever you have for me, I want what you have. I don't want it because Rose said I had it. I don't want any... I want what you had, and shortly after that led to bankruptcy and losing my business and losing the seven, the hundred million dollar contracts. My wife left me. Ended up living in a Dodge Stratus with everything I owned in it. Um, it was a setup that that almost caused me to put a bullet in my head in two thousand three. Wow! You know that it was like you know everything Rose said you know sounded so great, so wonderful, and you know you know these ghosts supposedly talking and validating her message and everything, and I was leading me towards wanting to go to that, so I think that it's just as dangerous for Christians 
that can easily get lured into the same kind of thing by something like that sort of activity. Absolutely. Is that how is that how the enemy works? And they they try to present us with something you know shiny and 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 you know and you know appealing to our our, our earthly desires. I've got money, power, uh, this hundred million dollar contract uh, that you know that I can I can give you if you'll just come yeah. with me. Yeah, well, absolutely. It, they, uh, and I, I think uh, whether you're an unbeliever or a believer, you're you're fair game. Um, you know, if they can cause a you know believer to stumble and and just have a non-productive spiritual life, you know they've succeeded there too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, absolutely. It's just, and I, I believe that's what most of the paranormal things that are out there right now, whether it be you know the vampire movies or the you know whatever it may be, it it, it they put a uh, they try to make it look appealing. They try to make it look like wow, this is something really cool. You know, I'd like to have this in my life. I'd like to be able to do this or or um you know it and and over time it desensitizes people. I mean mm-hmm. that's what's happened to society, you know, to the point that, you know, you're just kinda numb and you don't think it's really that bad. You're not really dabbling in anything that's that bad. And you know what, if it can help your life it's it's probably not such a bad thing, you know. But it is. It's it's gonna have a very bad ending. And uh, and it's not um uncommon. Uh, I've heard from uh, uh, Jackie Elnor, who uh, hosts uh, uh, Apostasy Alert on uh, Rapture Ready Radio. Uh, and uh, she's had some communication with a uh, woman who claims to be a Christian medium. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she can communicate, and she's doing it, but she's doing it for, for God, she says. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And we've, we've got a question from here in the room, and uh, thank you to uh, Ghani Shimura there, who's uh, uh, taking uh, taking questions from the chat room, passing uh, from the room here at the uh, the Radisson in Branson, Missouri, and passing them along through the chat room. Um, speaking of consulting mediums, Saul, mm-hmm. King Saul, when he was facing his darkest hour, went to the witch at Endor mm-hmm. and said, uh, I need Samuel. Who had the, the prophet who had recently passed away, and she called him up. So a couple of questions there. Um, what what was in Samuel's mind? Do you think? And secondly, was that a ghost that appeared? Uh, I've studied that scripture. I believe it's the one time you know that it was truly that person. I believe God allowed that to happen um, because. It also talks about the the witch was was shocked. She was just thrown for a loop mm-hmm. because it wasn't someone or a you know spirit she was familiar with, and uh, I believe that's one time that God allowed it. But you know, I mean, look how it ended for Saul. It didn't end well. <laughs> no. You know, we're not supposed to do that, regardless. You know, uh, but I think ninety nine percent of the time you're you know you're you're going to be getting a demon and not. That person. Yeah. Now, now there are some who will argue that and, and say that uh, because in Scripture we're told it is appointed unto a man once to die and then judgment, mm-hmm. uh, meaning you know you don't get to hang around uh, mm-hmm. and, and wander the earth. Um, but, so that this must have been a demon. That that uh, yeah. d- the only disembodied spirits we know of from Scripture for sure are, mm-hmm. are the demons, and that this might have been a demon impersonating Saul. It could have been. I think it was. My personal opinion is it was an exception. God made an exception because. You know, Samuel was a godly man, and he, because the message that Samuel gave him wasn't uh, what he wanted to hear either. So mm-hmm. I think it was 
the Lord gave special dispensation this one time. To, I, I believe so. That's my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I think I think the same thing. But it was also there was a little bit of a different paradigm at that time. You quoted a, a New Testament passage. Right. Um, at that time, the saints were in Abraham's bosom. Yes. Yes. Under the earth, in, in the compartment of the of Hades. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he came up out of there, as before they were liberated. Um, after Christ. Mm-hmm. We're talking with uh, Jeff Patty, prophecymatters.com, Rob Skiba, seedtheseries.com, and a view from the bunker live from Branson, Missouri, the future Congress on emerging threats and challenges. Uh, chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash PID radio, very active. Uh, yeah, I think the chat room consensus is that uh, this was, in fact, Samuel, because the scripture does say, and when the woman saw Samuel. Mm-hmm. And presumably, uh, under divine inspiration, the writer. Of, uh, was it First or Second Samuel? Whatever, uh, whatever the book that uh, I think Second Samuel. No. Yeah, uh, anyway, pr- presumably if you know, they, that they, they got it correct. So, um, the the fascination in our culture with the supernatural isn't isn't limited to ghosts. I mean, uh, and and we can probably do another uh, just a whole hour on the ne- the next topic. Um, anyone here with uh, daughter, niece, somewhere in the twelve to twenty four age range? Just curious, anyone here familiar with the Twilight series? <laughs> yes, Sparkly Edward. Um, vampires have become all the rage. And it really, this began, um, well, you know, before I pontificate, this is part of your presentation, Jeff. Um, what's the deal with vampires? I mean, since when did they turn from being Dracula, rip your throat out, to uh, Edward, virtuous and chaste? Uh, it's it's a pretty recent uh, phenomenon. It's uh but the whole Twilight uh, series, in my opinion, is just so dangerous and destructive because it's presented as, you know, kind of a love story. And, and, and I, I think it's purposely directed towards uh, women. I mean, I, I know very few men that have any interest in the Twilight series. But yet, you know, it's extremely popular. So it's, it's drawing in women, especially young women. Mm-hmm. And it's making it, uh, you know, appealing and like it's a, it's it's not really that bad of a thing. I mean, it's just this this nice love story, but it's um, you know it talks about eternal life. You know, without Christ, I mean, it's you have to become a vampire and you know kill people and in order to remain a vampire and have eternal life. It's just, um, but it's just what really bothers me is it just seems to be targeting women, especially the young women. And it's becoming. It just seems like it's accepted. They, I mean, they have graduation parties based on the Twilight theme, and you know there are even some churches that you know uh, seem to think that it's okay because uh, you know they haven't had sex. You know, they're you know it's it's a sweet love story. Mm-hmm. I think that's done on purpose, also uh, in the, in the storyline. I believe that's done on purpose. Why? Just to. I mean, for what purpose? To make it uh, more acceptable. To the general public, just more appealing, and especially to those to to people that may have a more conservative background that don't like all this sex and violence, because even the Twilight movies don't don't have they really don't have a lot of violence compared to other vampire movies or well, like the like the Underworld series, for example. Yes, yes. Uh, You know, they come across they're probably PG thirteen. I don't even know. I have no interest in watching them, but. but it, uh, come on, you've read all the books. Come on, <laughs> no. But I I know women, several women that have, as soon as they read that first book, they've got to read them all, and then if they've got to watch the movies. They have to watch the movies. Mm-hmm. They can't miss them. And 
uh, it's just very a very dangerous path, I believe. Yeah. What is the the, the danger in in luring um, teens into wh- whether it be you know you know Team Edward or Team uh, who's the other the other the vampire the, the werewolf character <laughs> Team Jacob was anybody no one here is going to admit okay Jacob Team Jacob. Uh, what, what, what's the danger in luring kids into it? I mean, you know, is it any more? Well, we'll, we'll deal with Harry Potter later. Um, <laughs> what, what, is, what is the danger? I mean, it's just a story, right? Um, it's well, it's not just a story. It it, it uh, just slowly chips away at, uh, especially if it's if it happens to be you know Christians, you know, young Christians or even mature, but they're uh, it just. Slowly takes them out of um, out of scripture. They get so they just get obsessed with it for one thing. The other thing, I, I just believe it's a, a perversion of um, you know the blood saves them, mm-hmm. you know, in a sense. But I mean, it's just a perversion of scripture because I mean, without the blood of Jesus, we don't we don't have any hope. Mm-hmm. And um, I just believe it draws them into this false. Uh, really, this false belief system, false religion—you know—that they can. I mean, I believe it can, can just lead to to darker and darker things, especially when it's as as prominent and and powerful as it is today. I mean, the, as far as just so widespread. I, I've heard it put this way, and I really wish I could claim that this was original to me, so I'd appear to be smarter than I really am. But uh, it's it's not. This is not my uh, analogy. It's it. it Jesus Christ died and shed his blood so that his followers could have eternal life. The vampire sheds the blood of his followers so that he can have eternal life. And in that respect, it is 180 degrees opposed, diametrically opposite, the Christ message. The vampire, in, in that sense, represents as anti-antichrist as you can possibly get. Yes. Um, but there's so many, there's, there, there are so many similarities. I mean, like in the traditional vampire lore, a vampire can't enter unless you invite him. Right? Like, a, like a demon. Well, or like Christ. You, you, Christ isn't going to bang down the door of your heart and right. just come in. You've got to invite him in. So it really is a counterfeit. I mean, it's a total counterfeit, but it, but it's set up in a romantic kind of way, especially in these Twilight series. Mm-hmm. And it's like if these girls could just realize that the lover of their soul in reality that wants to give them eternal life is Yeshua, is Jesus... And it has, I mean, they have they have stolen the gospel message and wrapped it up in this this other allegory. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is so enticing, and there's definitely a spiritual force behind these things because, mm-hmm. you know, there's a huge illiteracy rate out there. People aren't reading, the, you know. But you give them a Harry Potter book or a, or a Twilight book, and these are not, they're not short books. Mm-hmm. And yet, twelve year old girls are reading three hundred page books. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In <laughs> uh, a whole series of them, mm-hmm. there has to be a spirit behind that's drawing, that's making that happen. Yes, uh, and I, I want to uh, just uh, use this as an example. There's a show on Sci-Fi called Being Human. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, one of the characters is a vampire, mm-hmm. and I use this in my PowerPoint today in my talk. Um, and this appeals, I'm sure, to men more than women, possibly. But the the main uh, vampire character, uh, you know, came across a priest who was a vampire who right. had become a vampire earlier. Right. And uh, the priest tells him the story that uh, he was on his deathbed, you know, years earlier, 
And as he was on his deathbed, he realized that everything he believed and everything he taught was not true. There was nothing after this life. And he was he later recovered mm-hmm. and thought he was going to die. He recovered and apparently knew someone who could, you know, that was a vampire could that could turn him. Turn him. Yeah. And because that was his only hope for eternal life. And then he went to say uh, something to the effect of uh, the reason that Jesus talked about uh, blood and eternal life so much uh, was, and of course the main character interrupted him and said, you don't mean, and he said, it makes you it makes you think, doesn't it? In other words, Jesus was a vampire. Mm. That's why he talked about the blood and eternal life so much. Mm. And that's where this stuff leads and is leading. I mean, that's just complete blasphemy. Yeah. And... Um, Okay, we well, Russ, we, we're going to – don't mean to call attention to you while Russ, Russ Dizdar has finally arrived here, and, and we're, we're happy to have you, Russ, because I know that uh, you've been uh, at a lot of uh, – yeah, there we go. There we go. A lot of uh, uh, demands on his time here this weekend. We just got to get his microphone set up here, and he was about to put it on completely backwards, so we <laughs> had to stop you. There we go. There we go. Uh, so we'll welcome in the senior pastor of four churches over the last 30 years, a uh, gentleman who served as a police chaplain, or chaplain, I should say, uh, and uh, the founder and director of Shatter the Darkness, a deliverance ministry, and the host of the Preemption Radio Broadcast weekdays, 5 p.m. Central Time, author of the book Black Awakening, Russ Dizdar. Please welcome. Hey, thank you. Good to see you. So, Great no to be one. here. Appreciate it very much. Elvis, Sorry, late. Elvis is in the building. <laughs> <laughs> so a uh, shaking going on. We we talked uh, to this point uh, so far. We talked about uh, you know ghosts. We talked uh, a little bit about the uh, the nephilim, and I do want to come back to that as we discuss a little bit more of the nature of where we are and, and how we uh, uh, interface with the supernatural realm. Uh, we're, we're talking vampires right now, and uh, just, this is something that I've, I've been doing a little study on myself and writing on for a forthcoming book that uh, you know Tom Horn will be publishing around uh, uh, Halloween. I'm not sure if I can really tell any more than that, but you'll, you'll hear more about it for sure as the months ahead. Um, it, it really shocked me doing a word study uh, in, in the Bible on the word blood, mm-hmm. as to how often blood is mentioned in Scripture yeah. and in what context. Mm-hmm. What is it about the blood that has led to this whole fascination, you know, the vampire fascination, the whole inversion of uh, the salvation message. I mean, when you because when you get right down to it, the, the central message of the Bible is the blood. The only human blood that God ever intended to be shed on planet Earth was that of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And yet here you've got this whole... Uh, uh, this whole uh, subculture that's arisen. I mean, and I'm not just talking about fans of Edward Cullen, but a true subculture derivative of the goth culture mm-hmm. that actually believes that they are vampires and need to consume blood or psychic energy mm-hmm. in order to survive. What, what, what is the deal with blood? Is there something, what, is some unique property about blood that has led us to this point where you've got, you know, led us to this point? It's just life is in the blood, you know, period. And, uh, you know, Especially with Jesus shedding his blood for our sins, you know, Satan is going, that is like the ultimate thing that he can pervert and twist. And that's exactly what he's doing. And uh, mm. the blood is the life, Mr. Yeah. Renfield. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what about the subculture then? Uh, you know, what, what is leading this subculture of, uh, of vampirism? 
uh, these people who truly believe, and physiologically, you know, I, I don't see how this can be true. I mean, humans are not, we're not hemivores. <laughs> um, where does this come from? Russ, any thoughts on this? Is this something that you've encountered in your work in deliverance? Well, there's a there's a bloodlust on the demonic side. I mean, there's uh, that's the that is the number one doorway. That's why human sacrifice, the shedding of blood, the Mayans, all of it, modern day, uh, that is that is the doorway. When when blood is shed, but in the torturous long, you know, it has to be over. Uh, uh, in a ritualistic sense, but it's as though the demons then feed and come into this. If life is in the blood, if our human spirit is connected here, uh, and the energies are raised, then the demonic comes on this. And but notice though, when you kill, when in a ritual, when they kill, uh, the demons then are that are there. They don't want to stay in dead blood, dead human beings. So then they can come into the, the to, to the to the practitioner, or be sent, summoned to be sent. So blood is a big issue, but also in the blood is salt which is crystal. So there may be a sense of an issue of, uh, you know how you can, well, New Agers do it, Satanists do it, they can charge, or they call it charging, but it's demonizing an object. Um, so that might have a sense of a uh, doorway when, when energies are raised and the blood is, uh, because of the fear factor and the terror that, that, a, that a victim is going through, um, that seems to be the... Um, the gate, the grip, the, the where the demons grip. Uh, so I think in vampirism, we had a vampire call me one time and said, I'm a vampire and I want to meet with you. And I said, okay, I only meet after 12 o'clock. And uh, I, might, I might try to bite you. I said, oh. I said okay, we'll, we'll, we'll try it out. And I said, his name was Steve. I said, Steve, uh, how do you know you're a vampire? How's that a Wiccan meeting? And the Wiccan, uh, she, she prophesied over me. And I'm a real vampire. And I said, how do you know that? Well, I'm 486 years old. So prophecy from a witch told him that, and then he lives it. But I think demonization, demons have a bloodlust. They, they, they love blood. And there's uh, attachment there. There's life there. There's uh, desecration there. The interesting thing about the, the phrase, the blood is the life, and life is in the blood, that, that appears in Scripture in the context of not consuming animal blood. I mean, God prohibited the consumption of blood, and he had Moses remind the Hebrews of this at least half a dozen times in the Old Testament, uh, because the blood is the life. And the only, uh, and he said, it's been given to you for the, for the, the redemption of souls on the altar. I mean, that's it. That's the only time it's supposed to be shed, is when you're shedding it, uh, or if it's not being poured out on the ground, and avoid it, it's, it's to be shed on the altar. Uh, human blood, of course, uh, God said, I will require a... Uh, uh, a, a, a yeah, re require a, a, a uh, see it's it's after 10 p.m. so I'm losing nouns here. They're just disappearing here. Um, basically, it requires payback even from animals who shed human blood. Um, but uh, you know, again, that just even animal blood was prohibited because the life was in it. Um, is there something supernaturally significant even in animal blood? I still think the properties, uh, the idea of salt, the idea of it, it becomes, but when charged, it just doesn't happen in a ritualistic, because when anybody's doing a ritual, who created the ritual? I mean, the information for the circle, the symbols, the calling, the language, so it all comes from them. So they've, they've literally, it's not the practitioner that's ordering, the, they've now fallen under complete compliance to do it perfectly. Hmm. Don't break the circle. Don't do this wrong. Don't speak it wrong. Don't walk back. You know, do everything has to be done as designed by the demonic in the creation of submission. 
and and that's the doorway they say they'll come through. But they, but but the doorways, you know, if you look on the satanic calendar, uh, animal sacrifice is a, is a lot of it, um, but it's a lighter level. Hmm. It um, always moves to human. Much of what we know about the vampire realm comes from Bram Stoker. Uh, he sort of created the modern-day conception of the suave, debonair vampire, um, but he's not the first vampire in history. Uh, there are obviously stories that stretch all the way back to ancient Mesopotamia. Um, where did they come from? Was this just the product of some guy in Sumer 6,000 years ago who thought, hey, this would be a great story to scare the kids? Or is it possible something inspired the story? I think they're demonically inspired, you know, definitely. And uh, on my talk today, I, you know, you can trace it back, I believe, to you know the uh, the uh, mythology of of Lilith. You know, hmm. she's you know supposedly was Adam's first wife and it rebelled, and uh, you know she's known for taking the blood of the innocent, you know, like children and even unborn babies, and uh, then being a succubus and seducing men and that that is uh i believe the beginnings of of the vampire legends and they just grew from there the book of enoch tells us that the uh, nephilim uh, actually consumed all that there was in the world and uh, when they got done eating up uh, all the livestock they turned on mankind and one another uh, possible that uh, the nephilim might be the source of some of these legends could be. Uh, I was just thinking in in the Enoch story. I think the guy's the fallen angel's name is Kazdaja or something like Kazdaja, something like that. But he's associated with uh, taking the the, uh, the babies from the womb. Uh, basically, the origin of abortion, uh, more or less. That they taught all sorts of scary bad things that God never wanted people to know anything about. Uh, so it seems to be definitely inspired by these 200 fallen watchers uh, right from the, the days of Jared. And their unholy progeny. For sure, because their offspring, the Nephilim, picked, you know, uh, leadership breeds after its own kind. You know, uh, the children followed in the steps of their fathers mm -hmm. and taught men more bad stuff, like the art of mixing one species with another. Uh, some of the things we're dealing with uh, here at the at the future Congress with regard to transhumanism. So, yeah, I think it go, it can really be traced back to there. I don't know that uh, I'm familiar with the Lilith story as well, but I, I can't really think of anything prior to that. Tell you what we're going to do. We're going to take a little bit of a break here. We can reload water. In my case, I think I'm going to recycle some. So make sure that we got a clear path to the door here. Uh, we're going to take a quick break as we discuss the supernatural realm. Straight ahead, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about direct encounters with the supernatural. Our guests, Russ Disnarf, ShatterTheDarkness.net, Rob Skiba, SeedTheSeries.com, Jeff Patty, ProphecyMatters.com. I'm Derek Gilbert. This is A View from the Bunker, live from the Future Congress on Emerging Threats and Challenges in Branson, Missouri. More straight ahead on the PID Radio Network. Berkey Water Filtration Systems, now at SurvivorMall.com. Berkey Water Filtration Systems are the world's most powerful and economical personal water purification systems available, providing reliable and user-friendly water purification in both normal and hostile filtration environments. Perfect for everyday use and a must in hostile environments where electricity, water pressure, or treated water may not be available. 
At Survivor Mall, our Berkey systems are far superior to other filtration systems because they remove harmful pathogenic bacteria, cysts, and parasites, as well as unhealthy chemical contaminants and impurities, while leaving in the essential minerals your body needs. Berkey systems produce virtually the most healthful, clean, and delicious water available. No amount of vitamins or supplements can substitute for the vital, life-sustaining properties found in nourishing, healthful drinking water. Now you can enjoy virtually the most delicious, freshest, healthiest drinking water possible for just pennies a day. Learn more about Berkey Water Filtration Systems at www.survivormall.com. Again, that's www.survivormall.com. Survivor Mall. Don't live in fear. Get the gear. The world is in the grip of a psychotic mass murderer. He is responsible for the deaths of untold millions of men, women, and children. His power is exercised through a network of secret societies, and it reaches into the very highest levels of governments all over the world. Examine the evidence. Draw your own conclusions. Peer into darkness with Derek Gilbert and Sharon Gilbert on PID Radio www.pidradio.com Homeland Security is now advising all U.S. citizens to be prepared for an emergency. At SurvivorMall.com, you'll find the best deals on emergency supplies, including Mountain House 30-Year Shelf-Life Freeze-Dried Foods for your emergency pantry, storm shelter, or even bomb shelter. And at SurvivorMall.com, we have three-month, six-month, and one-year emergency food kits priced so low, you won't find a better deal anywhere. Plus, your friends at SurvivorMall.com do something nobody anywhere else does. Give you a free survival kit with every emergency food supply system. Why spend hundreds of dollars for a survival kit when you can get it free? Mountain House Foods is the number one long-term storage food brand. It's been the choice of backpackers, hikers, campers, survivalists, outdoor enthusiasts, and people just like you for over 30 years. With SurvivorMall.com's wide selection of single or double-serve entrees and a huge variety of up to 30-year number 10 storage cans, they're sure to have the meals you or your family will need and when you need it most. When it comes to long-term storage foods, emergency preparedness, and recreational activities like camping, hiking, backpacking, and hunting, Mountain House has been recognized as the best-tasting freeze-dried meals anywhere. Mountain House is convenient, easy to prepare, and has the longest shelf life of all. So invest in some peace of mind and check out the great deals on Mountain House Foods at www.survivormall.com. That's www.survivormall.com. Survivor Mall, the number one online retailer where government agencies, states, fire departments, public schools, universities, civic organizations, care homes, soldiers, police and security officers, citizens like you, and even Hollywood stars get their emergency preparedness supplies. Survivor Mall. Don't live in fear. Get the gear. Driving the Internet to think. This is a view from the bunker live from Branson, Missouri. It's the Future Congress on Emerging Threats and Challenges 2011. And we are honored to have in the room with us tonight Jeff Patty, Christian apologist, writes at prophecymatters.com. Rob Skiba, award-winning filmmaker and researcher, writes at seedtheseries.com. And Russ Dizdar, host of the Preemption Broadcast, author of The Black Awakening. And you'll find his website at shatterthedarkness.net. Uh, gentlemen, welcome back for a second hour here. 
We're talking about the supernatural realm, how we as Christians engage it, how it manifests itself to us, and uh, just trying to make sense of it all with our, our human eyes. Uh, we did have a, a question to pick up from the uh, the thread from before the break from uh, in the room here in uh, the Radisson in Branson, Missouri. Um, let's see if I can back this up here um, regarding the blood. Uh, animal mutilations, cattle mutilation, a uh, phenomenon known in uh, ufology. Uh, is there significance to the fact that uh, the cattle found mutilated or other livestock found mutilated are often uh, exsanguinated, drained of blood? They all are. They're, uh, they're <laughs> um, and again, because it's not an animal that does it, because it's you know it's done precision-wise. So the you know the issue is, is it a diversion for the sake of uh, verifying alien uh, presence, or is it uh, uh, the need for blood in in, in the genetic issue? Mm -hmm. and, and that's the answer I usually get. But nobody nobody's directly caught it. Nobody. So this is an area that needs to be pre-mapped and gone after. Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, another question or theory from the uh, the room here at, uh, in Branson. Vampires are known in the movies that they have to get blood or, de or they die because demons were born of flesh and blood, uh, the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim. So they are the product of flesh and blood. Uh, whereas Jesus was born of blood, water, and the spirit of a virgin. In other words, not two flesh coming together. If I see if I can make make sense of that. Anyway, we'll toss that out there as just a theory. Uh, another question here, uh, and let's this will bring us back into the realm of the Nephilim, and we'll we'll go from there and and uh, uh, kind of get back into where the uh, rubber is meeting the road today. Uh, if the demons, if demons are the disembodied spirits of the Nephilim, is there a finite number, or are they reproducing? And if so, how? Yeah, there's an interesting story about that. Um... Uh, Mephistopheles, if I'm saying the, the name right, uh, sort of the head of the demons, as it were. There's, uh, I was reading something not too long ago that essentially um, a deal was struck that uh, the devil essentially needed 10% or whatever it was. There was a percentage of the disembodied spirits in order for him to do his work. Like the mafia. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, and for whatever reason, according to that text, uh, God allowed that. But yeah, I think there is a finite um, from the flood. Uh, you know, the Nephilim that were produced prior to the flood were destroyed in the flood. So there's a finite uh, group of evil spirits called demons that came from those that were destroyed during the flood. But it says in Genesis six one through four that the giants or the Nephilim were in the land in those days and also afterward. Mm -hmm. And when you get to Numbers thirteen thirty three, it's the first mention of the post flood Nephilim. Uh, it says that they were of the Nephilim. The Nephilim were of the Nephilim. Uh, so it's a genetic issue, at least in my mind. Um, I know it's somewhat controversial. A lot of people uh, subscribe to the idea of a second incursion. The angels came down and mated with women again after the flood. I, 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 don't, I don't subscribe to that. I reject that. But I, but I have to acknowledge that the giants were in the land afterwards. So the mm -hmm. question becomes, well, how did they get here? And, and my thesis says that they survived through genetics, uh, specifically through, I believe, the wives of the sons of Noah, at least one and probably two of the wives, but definitely the wife of Ham. If I was to say that, that the Scripture says that Noah was found upright, just, and righteous in his generation, the word is tamin. It's, he was pure in his genetics. Mm -hmm. So if Noah and his wife were pure in their genetics, then it stands to reason that his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, all three were also pure. So the only option left, there's no mention of angels anywhere mating with women after the flood. 
then the only option left to us is the wives and of the um, of, of the sons of Noah. Mm-hmm. Now it says that the whole earth had been corrupt, and some of the extra biblical texts say that Noah got the wives for his three sons from the uh, brother of Methuselah, a guy by the name of Eliakim. Now, all things considered, if the entire earth was corrupt, I think Noah did a pretty good job if, you know, <laughs> of, of picking from limited choices uh, wives suitable for his sons. But you see in the lineage of Ham, especially in Canaan, it's all the ites, Amorites, Jebusites, Hittites, you know, all the ites that were of the Nephilim. They mm-hmm. were Nephilim of the Nephilim. So it seems to me that it passed along uh, genetically, that, and that makes it a genetic issue. Mm-hmm. And so, but but it would seem to me also that there has to be a spiritual component to DNA, and I don't quite know how to wrap my head around that yet. But it seems to me that that there there must be something there because there's such a, an issue with blood all through the Bible, you know. And there's there's something going on there that that God accepts uh, the sacrifice of blood, you know, in, in the Old Testament with the, with the animals and everything. There seems to be a spiritual component to DNA. I don't, I don't quite understand how it works, um, but I, I can't seem to get away from that. That concept, because why else is there always a need for, for 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 human sacrifice in particular to open up dimensional pathways for demons to do stuff? Mm-hmm. You know, there has to be a spiritual component to DNA. Well, well, so, so to answer your question, I think that that uh, maybe a lesser class of demon, if I don't know if there's a potency level <laughs> associated with the level of active DNA that's still working, but if Nephilim are being produced from Nephilim, then it stands to reason that when they die, that they would also produce more demons. Hmm. And and that would be a way, at least in my mind, for the devil to increase his numbers. Like we said earlier, he's already outnumbered two to one in terms of angels. Right. So how is he going to increase his numbers? Uh, Dr. Michael Heiser suggests that the verse uh, that you referenced, that uh, and also afterward, right. uh, when angels you know went into the daughters of men, could also be translated as whenever. Mm-hmm. They went in, so there is a possibility yeah. that there was a later incursion. Yeah, there was, but there's no scriptural evidence. Where Aside from that one verse, right? Yeah. Well, because that one verse, you can read it two ways. Mm-hmm. It says there were Nephilim in the, in the land in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men. Second incursion p- people would say the, the the Nephilim on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men again and again and again and again and again mm-hmm. and again. I kind of flip it and say, as a result of what happened when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they had offspring that were Nephilim on the earth in those days and also afterwards. And I believe the text lends itself to that interpretation, but but the striking lack of any mention of angels mating with humans after the flood says, to, you know, we're arguing from silence there, but right, the right. two passages where it says, Amos, it talks about the uh, the Amorites. Well, the Amorites were sons of Canaan. And in num- Numbers 13.33, it says that the Nephilim were of the Nephilim. So, uh, you know, it seems to me that yeah, they that, are doing it. Yeah, that, that is some interesting speculation, though, that if uh, the Nephilim um, produced some hybrid Nephilim themselves, uh, what, what happened to the spirits of those when, when they died? I mean, were they automatically condemned because they were part Nephilim, part human? I don't know. We're get, we're getting pretty esoteric. I think we can, you know, just kind well, of. But it raises some interesting hmm. questions because yeah. if if that's a form of, uh, well, I mean, that's a genetic form of demon possession, if if you were, because we've had some interesting debates with other people off 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 site, uh, whether or not Nephilim can be saved, and that's that's extremely controversial. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think a Nephilim, a true Nephilim, would want to get saved because if you look throughout Scripture, they're extremely hostile to God. Mm-hmm. 
but we're told to preach the gospel to all creatures. So, you know, if if they're open to having the dialogue, then I would suggest they probably don't. If there's if there is a level of genetics there, it's probably pretty minor. Because hmm. if they're even asking the question, "Hey, how do I get saved?" then I, they're they're not really nephilim. Well, you know, you know, something Rob said, you know, brings an interesting question to mind to me anyway, Russ. In, in your work with uh, those who are demonically possessed. Have you encountered ranks of, of demons? Are there some that, as, as Rob put it, more potent than others? Sure, absolutely. Because uh, and, and even whether multiple or non-multiple, um, there's usually more than one in every case. And when you first have manifestation, you may end up with the lighter level ones and then the stronger ones. It seems like they push the lighter ones up to deal with. So in the early days, you didn't get rid of one. Oh, we got rid of a demon. But then there's five other stronger ones in there. So when you have the other one where a person in the scriptures gets the house cleaned, what do they do? They go get how many? what kind of demons they get? Even stronger ones. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I think that in Ephesians 6, the Archai, the Cosmocrater, the uh, Poneus Penumenicae, the, uh, uh, the, well, the, Exocia, the, 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 the Spirit of God named them as different kinds. And uh, there's no question there's rank in it, but the Greek word used for Jesus saying, this kind, comes out, this kind only comes out by, by uh, prayer and fasting. Well, this, that word is type or species. Mm. So within that whole realm of the, the demonic and the fallen angel, I think there are types, and some are different. And so in, in actual dealing with them, there's some that we've dealt with that are just – and when they want to summon, they want power demons. They'll get lesser ones, but they want ones that are very powerful. So I think there's a difference, without question. Experientially, biblically, I think there's a difference. We've talked a little bit about uh, the the fallen angels and the powers, principalities, uh, thrones, dominions, uh, and and ranks there. Um, I had... uh, I've read some some work uh, by by another deliverance minister who was recommended by Dr. Michael Heiser on uh, ranks of fallen angels. Um, are there some that uh, and, and actually he may have been talking about demons as well because I don't know that fallen angels can actually. Well, let me, let me start with that. Can a fallen angel uh, possess somebody, or when someone is possessed by the enemy, is it always going to be a demon? You know, in, in all the deliverance Jesus did, in all, all of the God, book of Acts, they didn't say, well, this is an Ephelim one. This is a, a, they just dealt with unclean spirits or they, the term daemonoia. Um, so I don't differentiate that when we deal with them. Um, I've never had one come up and say, but I'm of an Ephelim. Or I'm of a fallen. What is an, an angelos is a spirit. A fallen angel is a spirit anyway. So uh, you have the same, in a sense, substance as far as spirit, same nature. Uh, there's no question about their fixed and fallen nature. But I do think there's different in type. When you're, you know, and even the Spirit of God, for a purposeful reason, you know, there in Ephesians 6, gave us uh, a difference um, between the types of them. And, and that's who we directly have to battle with. It's our battle, our reason for armor is because of, and he names these types. Mm-hmm. A cosmocrater is different than an archai. Uh, that's even in the New Age world, I think that's where they say ascended master. Because in the heavenly realms, in the air, uh, the great white brotherhood, that concept of the Tibetan ascended master that sat next to Alice Bailey, that fits that category. So... As Christians, we know that we've got the power 
through by, you know, through Jesus Christ. We mm-hmm. call on His name, and and that gives us the authority to command them to leave those who are uh, possessed. But is there a danger to us when we we confront these entities in, in maybe taking on too much authority on ourselves? I mean, is there is there a danger in certain uh, some of these really powerful demonic presences that we may put ourselves in jeopardy by not, you know, deferring entirely to Jesus Christ and and you know claiming that you know I have the authority to to get rid of you? Uh, I think in, in Christian in our immaturity we can do that. I mean, we we can become puffed up. Uh, that's I think that's why in that same chapter Jesus says, "Don't rejoice in this factor." Because they come all back, well, you know they they you know they submitted to us in your name. They were because that never happened. So now they're doing this because he gave this authority. But in seeing that in the perfect tense, I have given you authority at the moment, and with an abiding result, right here it is. You have it permanently to trample. There's a mission behind the authority: trample the dark side, and Nike to overcome with the decisive victory all the power of the enemy. So truthfully. Um, it, it, as listed, our, whether principality, power, whatever, I believe we have been given authority that is bigger than them collectively or individually. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't battle, or it doesn't mean that in the fle- we get in the flesh and get all, you know, spiritual gifts. You can get pride. You, you can get pride. You, I led 12 people to Jesus. How many did you lead? You can get that fleshly issue in all the categories. Uh, and when we do get sanctified enough and learn enough, we realize it's 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 not of us anyway, but we need to use it. We need to use what we've been given. It, it, one of the curious uh, stories of, of the New Testament is uh, in Jude, where he says that uh, when contending over the body of Moses, even the archangel Michael, who yeah. presumably is pretty high rank in you know the, the heavenly order, the heavenly host, uh, even he did not dare to uh, directly rebuke Satan. Uh, why why is that? Yeah, he didn't bring accusation. Uh, and right, I'm thinking right. that in, in an angelic battle, it might be a little different. Direct angel, angel to angel, it might be different uh, than on the ground. Because no angel of God even has rebuked or cast a demon out of a human. So I think it's just simply a necessary part of ministry where Jesus had to give that because it's the only way to get him out of somebody. Uh, and, and so in giving that to us, that's something different. Than what an angel of it, you know, we don't have a, a story where Jesus, you know, has given them. Now they, they, I think they operate of their own power. They're, you know, Michael, you know, dealing, and so to him, for him to say, "The Lord rebuke you," yeah, he's doing that. But I think when we use authority, when we, because we have authority, when we do this, this, and you don't have to say the blood ten thousand times. Um, when you use authority, use authority, and you know, in Jesus' name, there is no higher name. There is no greater manifestation of power that comes through. Um, so I, I just think there is maybe a difference in the warfare that they battle on their power of what they are, but we're nothing, we, but we've been given for the sake of necessity. This is, is part of ministry. And uh, so it's a little, maybe a little different. We're live at the Future Congress on Emerging Threats and Challenges in Branson, Missouri. I'm Derek Gilbert. This is A View from the Bunker. Russ Dizdar, Jeff Patty, Rob Skiba join me here as we talk about the paranormal. Uh, chat room open at blogtalkradio.com slash radio, And we've got some questions coming in from here in the room as well. And we appreciate the interaction, again, especially as we get closer to 12 o'clock, because the synapses are firing a little more slowly now than they were about 12 hours ago. 
Um, but uh, it, it really is a blessing to be here. Uh, we, we had talked about the um, the blood sacrifices to the the, the uh, idols of, of the ancient world. Molech, in particular, seems to be an especially bloodthirsty god. Mm-hmm. Um, were the people uh, of that era simply sacrificing to a stone idol, or was there something spiritual, supernatural at work there? Well, I think there was definitely something spiritual, supernatural working <laughs> there. You know, if you look at the, the the way the Jews operated so many times in the Old Testament, you had this, you know, Yahweh was doing these amazing things for them and, you know, splitting the Red Sea and just the you know, pillar of fire and pillar of smoke and all these amazing things. Why would they keep going over to these wooden stone idols? Mm-hmm. And, and my wife and I were talking about it recently. It couldn't be that there was just some kind of belief in some kind of stone or wooden idol. There had to have been some sort of manifestation or benefit to doing so. There had to have been some, something there that would be tangibly uh, enticing them to compete with pillars of fire and pillars of smoke and, you know, all the things that God was doing for them, I believe there definitely had to have been some sort of physical, spiritual manifestation mm-hmm. behind it. Yes. The magicians of Pharaoh had some kind of power. Mm-hmm. Where'd that come from? We're talking about the enemy here, the fallen? the fallen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Yes. Well, let's, let's talk about the, the Nephilim and bring that into present day. Um, question from the chat room here. Um, we, we, I think we're in agreement that Genesis 6 means what it says, that the Nephilim are, in fact, the product of uh, mating between angelic beings and, and human women. Uh, question in the chat room asks, are there people walking around today with corrupt Nephilim DNA or seed? <laughs> how, would we, how would we know? How would we know? I mean, well, you put it under a microscope when you look at all the, 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 you know, you look at the blood, then the one that has the horns. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, but Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. And if you look at the arguments that he was having with the scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and the Sanhedrin and everything, I, I really think that there is a, uh, I want to be careful how I say this, serpent seed out there. Um that, that there are people out there that um, probably are of Nephilim seed, and and it seems to me that that Jesus was dealing with them, with regard to some of these people. He called them serpents and, and called them, you know, some of the names that Jesus called them. You know, I get in trouble when I say somebody's a sheeple. I'm thinking, man, look what Jesus said to some of these people. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, he's pretty hardcore. Um, but you look at some of the world leaders today and some of the things that I know that people are all into the reptilians and all that stuff, but you know, maybe there's something to it. You know, I don't necessarily think you peer back peel back their ear and they got you know, lizard skin underneath. Like, like, v, like on uh, V. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but if you look at their fruits, um they are definitely uh putting forward a Luciferian agenda and they're serving a master of some sort and they seem to be completely sold out and I guess the question would be if it's sold out even to a genetic level, I don't know, but I think there is something to that two bloodlines and and it often makes me wonder you know, listen to your wife's uh presentation uh the other day about mm-hmm. this whole mandatory DNA testing thing that you know it makes me wonder if they're looking for something mm-hmm. yeah. um, and, and the whole triple helix project I mean yeah, she got the, my head spinning when she yeah, was scientists are actually actively at work trying to produce a triple helix DNA why you know uh there's something it goes back, it. It go, that goes back to Hitler then because the whole Aryan issue, you know, their belief was that the God men. So you have the possibility of second, third, fourth generation God men 
that Himmler, who was a breeder, understood backbreeding by taking Aryans that are 10% Aryan blood, putting them together, you get you know 20, then 40, then maybe we can backbreed to a pure God-man Aryan. Uh, so I believe they were looking for the genetics. They were testing for the genetics. They were looking for, we call it in what we do, flex or pieces of it uh, there. And, and even this whole issue of the satanic ritual abuse. The secular terms and the stuff out there is very light in the understanding of this. Its origin is in seeking charged blood. Uh, they believe, like, um, well, look at Crowley attempting the moonshot. Look at Jack Parsons and Babylon working. Mm -hmm. You have everybody seeking it, but who's driving them? Who drove Himmler to search? So I believe it does come from their desire for a transmuted human for the sake of one thing. You know, a, a real master race. Antichrist comes, you can't have a, a, a global kingdom without troops. Mm. And those kind of troops and these, these people we deal with, they, they, are, they are arrogant about they are the troops of Antichrist. We will make Hitler's SS troops look like choir boys. We are superior. We have superior blood. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I haven't met a, a real first-generation Nephilim yet, but um, <laughs> it'd be interesting. Probably not enjoyable. <laughs> well, but that that supports kind of the theory that I that I have with regard to not believing in the second incursion idea. If all angels had to do is have sex, what's to do with all the genetic experimentation and scientific experiments? You know, it seems a whole lot easier just to have sex than to go through the whole abduction rituals and all of the you know extracting of seed and and planting of embryos and all of the surgical procedures. Um, well, like introducingism in theology. A husband and wife come to humans come together. What causes? I mean, at concept. I mean, conception is. Uh, if you ever seen it, even simulated the idea. Uh, it's an explosion. It's like the new birth. It's like glorific. It's an explosion, but that's where the human spirit is created. Spiritual presence then is the life behind, which includes blood. Uh, behind the fetus, so there's life instantly right then. Now, when you have a fallen angel causing that conception. The, the mix, the genetics, you don't have human, first generation. Uh, you have God doing this with with Mary. Then you have perfection. The, the, the genetics of the incarnation is uh, nothing but glory, okay? But I think that uh, everybody has sought, uh, whether in dark occultism, darkest occultism, they've all sought, how do we get to that, how do we get to that? the power in the genetics, not just demonization, not just charged drinking of blood. Uh, how do we actually recreate it? Mm -hmm. And a scientist in the United States, out in Mojave, they're out there doing it. They're trying it. Um, something drives. It's driven. It's on a global basis, driven that way. Now, question for a cameraman here, Daniel, who uh, wants to know if the Human Genome Project might be part of this search for uh, the special DNA to perhaps recreate, uh, re either recreate the Nephilim or, or create perhaps something else that will uh, join in the Luciferian army when uh, Christ returns. Yeah, for sure. I think so. I, I think there's. I a, mean, the title of your, your the, word, the title <laughs> of your series seed. is called Seed. Yeah. So I don't like it too much, way, but yeah, yeah, I think so for sure. But there's an obsession right now with resurrecting dead things. <laughs> You know, like, hey, mammoth, let's re resurrect mammoths. That'd be cool. Yeah. What about T Rex? Oh, hey, let's resurrect Pharaoh. Good point. <laughs> what, what are they practicing for? That's practice for something. 
you know, they're doing something. Um, and, and I think, it, you know, we'd be wise to start um, praying against it or being aware of it or, you know, getting educated on it or whatever, mm-hmm. because so many people are going to be caught completely unaware. You know, and I think that that's what what Jesus is talking about. Except those days be shortened, there shall no flesh be, you know, saved. Nothing's going to survive. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the supernatural realm with Rob Skiba, SeedTheSeries.com, Jeff Patty, ProphecyMatters.com, Russ Isdar, ShatterTheDarkness.net, on a view from the bunker. We're live from the future Congress on emerging threats and challenges, and perhaps no greater emerging threat or challenge to the human race than. Uh, the rise of the Antichrist as we head toward the last days. Uh, you know, Jeff, you've done um, a lot of research into the, the whole vampire craze and, and why it's such an, an appealing thing to our youth today. Uh, and, of course, ghosts and the, the appeal of the supernatural, the ghost hunters to, um, you know, even, even our brothers and sisters who are sitting with us in the pews on Sunday morning. Uh, how is that going to affect the perception of, of many people, the discernment of many people, when we see... The, the forces of Antichrist begin to, to coalesce. Is this going to affect us in any in any way? Uh, yes, I believe it will. It's um, Again, it's just, um, I believe the more bombarded we get with this kind of stuff, we just become numb to, uh, you know, and to what's happening, what's going on, uh, just a lack of discernment. And, um, and I believe that, you know, whether it's, uh, vampire movies, alien movies, uh, and 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 they've always been around, but it just is is just uh, like a tidal wave. The last few years, it seems like you know a lot of it's the technology, the special effects that they can create and stuff that makes it, I think, uh, more prominent. Also, but I believe it's 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 preparing people for the coming of the antichrist it's just it's kind of preparing them for these supernatural events that are that are about to explode on the world and uh I, that's my personal opinion is is it's just a it will be much more easily accepted than if we didn't have these movies and didn't have these books and all of the the things on television that's just mm-hmm. growing and and then it suddenly appeared mm-hmm. you know people would would resist it they wouldn't like it they would it would it would be too strange too weird but I, I believe it's uh, definitely opening that door for people to just accept it. Well, well I look at my daughter's generation, and, and she's just you know, 21 now. But, but she's been coming up during the the, uh, the, the run of the X Men movies, mm-hmm. you know, and mutants, uh, w- which are good. They've got extra, you know, the the, the series uh, TV series Heroes, mm-hmm. which had a, a short but very popular run, mm-hmm. uh, where all of these. Uh, uh, mostly young people with supernatural abilities, superhuman abilities uh, manifested. And, of course, we've got uh, Ray Kurzweil and his uh, transhuman movement, which is uh, has got a lot of traction in our academic communities mm-hmm. and some pretty heavy backing, by the way. I'll talk about this in my presentation tomorrow. Uh, some big money behind uh, the uh, drive toward the singularity and apotheosis through technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's becoming popularized and normalized through our through our culture. Shows like Being Human, you know, uh, yes, yes we're, we're talking about well, you know, the ghost, the vampire, and the it's a sort of a bizarre sort of supernatural threes company. Yeah, uh, where <laughs> yeah. The ghost, the vampire, and the werewolf <laughs> learn to live together in harmony and just yeah. try to get along. Down uh, to Malibu. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, hold down a hold down a normal job uh, working in a hospital, which is kind of creepy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But but it seems to be desensitizing us toward that uh, toward that goal toward that end. Um, 
Russ, in many of your encounters with these demonically charged multiple multiples, you know, people with dissociative disorder, multiple personality disorder, uh, you, you kind of referenced it a little bit. Uh, what, what, what sort of picture have you developed from the information that you've been getting about what the enemy is planning, you know, planning to do to bring this end game uh, about? But from them alone, those those ones, chosen ones, subpersonalities, all bloodlined, uh, demonized. They first of all believe that they that they do have some nephilim blood. They they at least believe that whether we do or not. They uh, they believe you know when you get to the core subparts that are really down in there, they all believe that they're part of the troops of Antichrist. They believe without question they will create such anarchy, such absolute chaos. Uh, the phrases that constantly are given to me still to this day, we smell Christian blood, we can't wait. Um, their belief, and here's the issue, there are not 50 of them, there's not 100 of them. Colin Ross, secular, non-Christian psychiatrist, 10 million United States. Not counting Canada, not counting Australia, not counting England, not counting Europe. Uh, 40 million first generation. But now we have four, four, we have four generations. So the statistics are up to 100 million. Why are there 100 million Human beings, bloodline, demonized, subpersonalities, killer, uh, assassins, uh, highly trained, uh, waiting to be triggered. A hundred million. And, and just to clarify for people who may not be familiar with your research and the, the Black Awakening, your book, uh, what you're talking about here are essentially demonically charged Manchurian candidates. Programmed. Uh, you know, it's like, again, we know what it is to be clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit to do our work. They know what it is to be clothed, empowered by power demons to do the programming is like opening them wide into one direction. So, yeah, it, it, they are, I mean, when we've seen them and we've had to deal with them, they are quicker, stronger, faster. Uh, they have thrown our staff members all over the place. Officers have had to four or five at a time fight with them, chain them because of the supernatural side, the programming side. Um, the slaughter that they can uh, incur, if the VTEC guy was a real one, if Jared, and I believe Jared at least is real, uh, and if this new Nor Nor Norwegian guy, right. Oslo, uh, Revovic, whatever, if he is, look at the damage one individual in one place. When you talk about 100,000 of them released at one time. Hmm. So from the conversations with subpersonalities that were breaking out over 25 years, they all said the same thing. We are part. Uh, they look at a coming world leader as the next Führer, the next uh, Superman. He'll be. A, he'll be. A, they. They describe. They. There is a lust for it on their side of the fence. Hmm. Rob, in your research for the for the forthcoming TV series Seed, uh, what uh, have you? What, what sort of theory, working theory, have you developed about what's coming? Oh well, I, I gave a presentation today on mythology and the coming great deception. And it doesn't take a whole lot of research before you figure out as you start studying uh, mythology that they all seem to dovetail right into one character in antiquity, that being Nimrod. Hmm. And uh, kind of the working thesis is the first shall be the last. Um, I believe if you look at four scriptures in particular, Revelation 17, Revelation 13, Revelation 9, and Matthew 24, I believe the Bible tells you absolutely who the Antichrist is. And my personal belief is that it's a resurrected Nimrod. Now, whether or not that's the actual individual's corpse coming back to life like Frankenstein, I don't know, or a genetically uh, altered, created, cloned uh, uh, being from his prior DNA, I don't know. Uh, but I do believe Scripture tells you exactly who the Antichrist is, and I believe it's a resurrected Nimrod. 
And what's interesting about him, I mean, you can look at Hitler, you can look at Genghis Khan, you can look at all these tyrants of history. Nobody called him a beast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're bad guys, but nobody called him a beast. But, you know, if a 5,000-year-old decapitated uh, corpse uh, <laughs> all of a sudden resurrects and comes out of the Giza Plateau one day, yeah, that's a that's a beast. You know, it sounds pretty fantastic and pretty crazy and pretty out there, but why does the whole world worship the beast? Because they did at one point. They've worshipped the guy under a lot of other names uh, throughout uh, the centuries and, and stuff. But Well, you explained your reference to the Giza Plateau. Most people think Nimrod, the thinking Babylon. Right, okay. Uh, Osiris is another incarnation of uh, or, or name associated with Nimrod. And uh, you know a lot of people don't realize this, but in 1999, Zahi Hawass digging around under the Giza Plateau between the center sphinx, uh, the Sphinx and the center pyramid, found uh, the tomb of Osiris, which is an extremely uh, strange place, uh, secret chamber. But in Matthew 24, Jesus says, you know, if they say, "Behold, he's in the desert," don't believe him. Uh, behold, or don't go there. If they say, "Behold, he's in the secret chambers," don't believe them. And then there's a really unusual statement that makes no sense at all, unless it's something like this. I believe is where he says, "For where the carcass is, there, there the... the eagles shall be gathered together." Right, right. Well, eagles right. don't go after carcasses; they go after live prey. Right. Uh, and so there's this reference of the carcass, and I believe that Paul talks about the revealing of the man of sin first, and, and it makes me think: Is the world, is the the body of Nimrod, Osiris, Gilgamesh, whatever, going to be presented. Uh, we found him, you know, in 1999, they found the tomb of Osiris. It was a huge discovery. 2003, they find the tomb of Gilgamesh in the yes. desert of Iraq. Yes. Oh, by the way, in April of 2003, and we went to war in May, kicked the archaeologists out. The first thing our troops did was raid the Museum of Baghdad. Mm-hmm. And set up a, an embassy ten times larger than any others in military bases. What's going on? After the discovery in Giza, they put a big fence around the, the pyramids, and, and there's all kinds of weirdness going on. So that has to add up to something. Wait, let me let me throw this in the mix. This is something I, I stumbled across years ago that I thought was really curious. The uh, symbol used by Scottish Rite Freemasons for the 32nd and 33rd degree mm-hmm. is the double-headed eagle of Lagash. Lagash is a city in ancient Sumer. Uh, that was a representation of the uh, Sumerian god uh, uh, Ningursu, which is the deified form of Nimrod. Nimrod. Our buddy Nimrod. He yeah. shows up everywhere. Take out a dollar bill. And you know what's really curious? We, we talked again about the, the Oslo. Yeah. Uh, we, 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 when they set up the room, they, they had a, a, an American flag here uh, initially. And the, you know, you look at the eagle on top. It's like, wait, that's not an eagle. That's a phoenix. It looks, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, okay. Well, we'll just return that to the room we, we borrowed it from. Um, well, the thing that's interesting, though, in the passage where it talks about those who follow the beast, it says that those who follow the beast are those whose names were not found written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. It's kind of peculiar because we know from Scripture that if we reject uh, the, the gift of salvation that Christ offered to us, our names are blotted out of the book of life. Well, you can't blot something out unless it was there to begin with, mm-hmm. which says to me that where he says, I'm not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. The proof is I wrote your name in the book, man. Exactly. All you got to do is confirm your reservation. Mm-hmm. If you choose not to, man, I'm sorry, I never knew you. I've got to blot you out. Mm-hmm. But there's this group of people whose names were never written in the book to begin with that are following the beast. And that leads me to believe that these are people that were never meant to be people. Clones, whatever you yeah. want to call them, yeah. uh, modern Nephilim, whatever. Yeah. But those were people never meant to be people. Hmm. 
A uh, question from here in the room. This comes from uh, Devin to Russ. Can a Christian can a Christian excuse me can a Christian have demons? Sure. Yeah. Um, not like a non-Christian. Possession, demonizoid is the word. Demonization means total taking over. In a non-Christian, you can be body, soul, and spirit taken over. But a believer, you know, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down your anger and give the devil a topon. So if you stick your you know yourself out there in the flesh long enough. That's bad enough, but if you do it long enough, then the enemy can grab a hold. That's a legal right, and that's an area. So it's nowhere near like, we call that an attachment, not possession. Uh, you can we, All believers go through oppressive fighting, attack, you know, Ephesians 6. We all go through spiritual warfare, the norm. But if we purposely, I mean, if we get out there like that and do this into a sin area, uh, that area can eventually... Uh, you know, it's like if you set the garbage out and rip the bag open, the, the rats will come. Um, and, and so when there's repentance and that area is dealt with, then there's no more legalities. Uh, that's, that's a necessary issue. But uh, we can be oppressed, harassed, attacked um, in many different types of ways. But if we purposely do that, topon, legal right, gateway, but that area... Not the not the possession of your of your spirit. I would definitely agree with that. I, I grew up in an environment that Christians can, cannot be possessed, and and but but we're a three part being: body, soul, and spirit. And I believe when we receive Christ, our spirit is off limits at that point. Holy Spirit's in there; you can't get in there. But I believe when the devil or demons or whatever manifests uh, itself in the flesh. It's sickness, it's disease, it's illness, it's it's all those things that Jesus identified as the work of the devil. When it manifests in the mind, will, and emotions, it's addiction, it's depression, it's all those things that we medicate, uh, and all that that could last forever. You know, if you don't cast that thing out, you just self-medicate on drugs, on pharmacia. Um, but when I was doing some research into the 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 Greek word for saved, sozo, it, it appeared to, it was 118 times in the New Testament. Uh, and used in reference to being set free and delivered uh, of the three different, it was forgiven, healed, and delivered, or different ways that the word sozo is translated. Most of the time it's used in reference to being set free and delivered, made whole. Followed, I think, by healing, and then lastly by the common uh, term salvation is in terms of uh, going to heaven. Uh, but it, it just makes sense. If we're a three-part being and we've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, it just makes sense that he has a three-part salvation to help us out. But in my experience in the foreign mission field, it seems to me that most Christians, uh, especially Western Christians, are saved, sozoed enough to be forgiven but not healed and delivered. And with the mindset that Christians can't be possessed, I think people still they stay in bondage to sickness, disease, and, and mental illness and everything else. But I've seen a, a black pastor come in from Africa filled with the Holy Spirit and casting out demons from my brothers and sisters that I know are godly men and women, but were struggling with addiction or were struggling with things where, where like Russ said, they had opened the, a doorway. They, they gave legal right wow. for, for some somehow to come in, but, but these, these brothers and sisters in Christ were puking up demons. So I don't believe they had access to their spirit, but I believe that they had latched on <laughs> uh, mind, will, and emotion and flesh. So as far as opening a door, um, what sort of um, gateways can we open into our spirit that would allow that type of oppression? Anything that would... 
be a, a legal anything that they're looking for. Would be, well, a, a believer, you know, you know, stupidly goes out and so I'm going to get psychic reading done, and some a real psychic that has spiritual power behind them. They do something, and what they speak is attached to, and then at the very least, that spirit then you've given a right for the reading. You believe the reading, this at least the influence, if not eventually some level of attachment. Um, Bitterness could be that lust, you know, just the sin issues. Not all sin issues are demons. Okay, that's sin issues to repent of, um, but that can become a doorway. If you go, if a believer goes out and plays Ouija, you know, and they keep really getting the Ouija board, really, getting, they can open a door for something to come right in that house um, and begin to afflict, and and they get, they get more of an, uh, you know, that's the whole issue with the sleep paralysis, those visitations. Mm-hmm. Somewhere there's a door, always a door somewhere. Uh, Jeff, how does how does that relate then to the the uh, j- just to take it back to the the uh, mythos of the vampire? Uh, this is the story that the vampire can't enter your house unless you open the door. Is, is there some connection there to the I, legend? Yeah, I believe there's a, there's definitely a connection there. I mean, that, I think that uh, where it gets its origins is. Uh, uh, but uh, I definitely agree with with what they're saying. It's uh, um, I've never believed that um, as a Christian you can be possessed, but you can definitely. Uh, you know, dabble in something that's 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 going to have it's going to have terrible consequences and mm-hmm. bog you down in your your spiritual life. You know, again, like we were talking earlier, just to make you completely unproductive as uh, as a Christian. If uh, you know, if if Satan can do that, if his demons can do that, you know, they've they've won as far as uh, Christians concerned. Uh, I believe, uh, and and. Uh, Throw a stumbling block in your path, they mess up your walk, and then you're yeah, and you struggle with it for the rest of your life. Or you, you know, you're they're they're attached to you mm-hmm. in that area uh, because you don't uh, uh, you know get it uh, get get released from it mm-hmm. at any point. Yes, yeah. So, you, you, are are the demons, the, the fallen angels, really that legalistic? We need to give them a, a legal right to oppress us. I mean, are they operating under some set of rules that binds them where if we don't give them permission, do we don't open that door, they can't come in? Ephesians 6, I mean, we're going we're gonna to be attacked. Your enemy, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Jesus is, you know, Simon, Simon, Satan's that's to sift you as wheat. So behind the scenes, there is normal attack. There's going to be arrows sent. But the answer is shield of faith extinguishes. Um, so the normal stuff's going to be there, but now we have the secondary of opening doors, and there's more doors around us. There's more opportunity for that. You know, you get into vampirism and you start drinking blood. Well, then you are opening a door there. Um, you you go to even even, and this is why I won't quote like um, the externalization of the hierarchy. I won't quote the words out of uh, Alice Bailey's book. It that is. Dedake demonoia. That is hmm. exactly. So I don't want to quote it. I don't want to put it out. I'll reference it. I'll talk about it, because just as this. Well, I think the scripture is different though. It's animated with the spirit of God. It's living words. At the very least, books that are doctrines of demons are have attachment. I don't know if you've ever read that particular book, but I'm telling you there is a. I had to pray over even against whatever, even to do study on that. And I won't give it to people. Um, there's things that I don't think we should. Um, things that need to be burned. Uh, 
things that have been confiscated. We used to have six tables of just confiscated ritual items and knives and pots and things. With, we had to, I, I just burn all of it because if it, even if an object has demonization, demon on it, um, it can bring it can bring influence. And now we've got more and more people that know how to summon demons and send them. So we have whole new levels of, and they can affect us. There has to be that kind of legal right, but in summoning and sending, like Revelation 16, when they're sent, that that is the, the their right to come. Now, how they affect you has a lot to do with, you know, you. Uh, as a believer, you can have the enemy lie, whispering, the, what are those arrows? Involuntary thoughts and feelings sent to you to counter the Word of God, counter the will of God, to get you to believe a lie that you have to say, well, wait a minute, no, this is wrong. Here's the Word of God. I'm going to lift up my faith. Then you can destroy those flaming arrows that are sent by a sender. Um, and, and so if we don't do our part, and if we're not trained, that's a big issue, naked soldiers on the field. Um, but if we don't use then this, we, even our authority to clear the air around us when we feel oppression, when I have somebody come by that is demonized that purposely wants to rub something off hmm. or put a, 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 a certain oil on that, ha, that attracts demons that were in a, in a ritual. Um, but we, we should be quick to respond when we feel things. We're going to have to learn a lot quicker to do things. We can, we can clear the air a lot more. We can be a free a lot more than we, than we are if we do our stuff. I, I just want to say that one, I believe one of the most easily obtained and dangerous and, and, and accepted things uh, a person can get that's going to open doorways, demonic doorways, is the Ouija board. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got that in, in one of the, the talks I gave today, and, and it, you know, it's put out by Parker Brothers, I mean, and, and probably other different uh, companies, but it's, it's, you just go buy it like you'd buy Monopoly. Yeah, um, and that raises an interesting point. Uh, you know, Russ, you, you talked uh, many times about the, you know, the spiritually charging objects uh, and, uh, a, a, I guess, a spiritual transference that takes place at that time. Sure. Uh, I think the devoted objects in the Old Testament, I think they were demonized objects. Used in ritual, they're demonized objects. Uh, we have to understand how this works um, so that when they would, in a ritual, charge an object purposely for their own protection, bury it in their ground. There's a, what, voodoo is different than, than Satanism, Satanism is different than Abakwa. I mean, there's a lot of different kinds, but it's the same principle. Um, so they might want a charged object in their house for protection. A new agent might want a charged. When they say, char- what is that energy? The energy is always associated to the entity. The entity is there, emanating energy. Mm-hmm. They might just, oh, it's just energy, you know, on my crystal. No, it isn't. It's, it's attachment. And you've got a spirit there now that is, you've given a doorway. But a, but a real undergrounder will, will, will have a demonized object with an assignment. Would love to give you a gift, give the pastor a gift. Um, hmm. A missionary, we know there's all the stories of missionaries getting, you know, unaware they get an object that's devoted to a god. And they bring it to their house and they put the little elephant or whatever it is up on their thing. And all of a sudden things start happening in the house. People get crazy arguments, uh, uncanny sicknesses. If they had it on there, then it, then it begins to be, – because it knows us. The, and they, they know us, and they're, and they're, they're going to want to fight. They're going to want to harm. Um, so, again, more than ever, Ouija board, you're right, a massive uh, door. Uh, but there's so many new ones now. Go to Borders. You can, you can buy the, any kind of door. You can 
side doorways left and right. Um, well, that, that raises an interesting question to, to me, and not to be you know alarmist because uh, you know we'll, we'll get back to you know, how do we protect ourselves against these things. But is it possible then that there is a a true effort out there to charge items like these board games, like somewhere there's some warehouse someplace with people doing all kinds of weird things to charge these elements before they load them on the pallets and send them out on trucks. I mean, how do we know what we're getting into our hands? I, mean, I believe that's the case in music. You're right. Yeah, I think I music is definitely being spiritually charged before it goes out. You're right. What, yeah. what about the bloodshed in movies? We talked about the shedding of blood for ritual sacrifice, the power in the blood. What happens to us when we go see... Uh, torture porn film you know the the hostile series or you know saw two three four five six seven you know what 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 happens to us when we are visually affected by and this is uh, something sharon is writing about for the next uh, tom horn book coming out uh, halloween what 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 affects how does that affect us spiritually i think it desensitizes if we do it again and again and again i think that uh the anything that creates terror and fear Terror and, f- terror and fear, undealt with, can become a doorway. At the very least, for harassment and, and, and suppressing, believers cannot go passive. Jesse Penn Lewis wrote that. The Big Revivalist wrote that in the Big Revivals. Passivity is a doorway also. Massive passivity. Uh, God wants us to be self, you know, alert, uh, you know, self-controlled. In the, the Spirit of God g- makes us active and conscious. But when there's suppression and confusion, and, and that all comes from the enemy, and then we don't, we don't respond with anything back, uh, there is a pressuring down. So... Um, I, I think that it that it you know the the Exorcist movie that first came out. One guy told me I went 36 times in, and it's scared. You know, of course they they say I scared the hell out of me. <laughs> Hell's not a bad word; it's a bad place. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I was like, No, it didn't. Not, yeah, you're not. You know, because you're not safe. But um, but um, but look what that did. Look what that did to people to hear that uh, on screen. And so the question is, if you can demonize an object. Can you demonize a website? They believe they can. Can you demonize a symbol, a sigil? Yes. Can you uh, demonize not all tat? I'm not going to say all this stuff is demonized, but originally that's what it was for, Mm -hmm. to have a demonized marking unto a god. Mm -hmm. And uh, it can be. So um, we have to get a greater awareness is is good. Mm -hmm. There's an excellent question here from the room uh, forwarded to us uh, through the chat room at blogtalkradio.com slash PIDradio. Um, Looking at the Old Testament as a history of warfare between God and his chosen people and the fallen angels known to the neighbors of the ancient Hebrews as Molech, Chemosh, Dagon, Asherah, Baal, uh, Etc. Um, you know, even even some that as I was looking through, I didn't even know like a Himalek and a you know whatever uh, that that uh, were trying to cut off the the Hebrew race before the the, the Savior could be born. Um, God specifically told the Hebrews uh, early on when they were moving into Canaan, when you take this town, um, kill everyone, destroy everything, take nothing. Why did God do that? I've heard the phrase that the understanding of the Nephilim is the Rosetta Stone for understanding Scripture, uh, especially the Old Testament. Uh, And for me, that's definitely true, because I can never understand how Jesus could tell Philip, look, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. And Hebrews says he's the expressed image of the Father. 
and yet you see the father in the Old Testament kill the women, kill the children, kill the animals, wipe out everything, kill everything, and don't and it, take anything don't from take the anything. town. Yeah, I was like, the God of the Old Testament. The Old Testament used to tweak me out before I understood this because I was on the way. God sounds like a homicidal, homicidal maniac. Genocidal. Yeah, genocidal. I mean, just crazy. You know, I don't mean any disrespect. It's just my lack of understanding. Uh, but then when you plug in the Nephilim equation, you realize everywhere they were told to wipe out everything, take nothing, destroy everything, those are all Nephilim cities, every single one of them. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And how was deliverance done in the Old Testament? Not like the New. You know, in, in, in demon, there was no agnostic tribe, atheist tribe, deist tribe, existentialist tribe. They were all demonized <laughs> tribes. There was no secular tribe. They were all de- generationally Nephilim or, or massively demonized, infected. So they were toxic. So how, when do the demons come off? At that, demons don't stick on dead bodies. Um, can they be on objects? That's why they're told don't take like, don't take these objects. Okay. So or burning or look at Josiah did, grinding them down, making latrines. Why? Because the demons will eventually inspire people. Satanic synchronicity leading to the object, Mayan temples. Open the temples. You know why the demon gods don't die? They're still waiting. They're still at their gateways, and there's and and the synchronicity that the other side talks about is satanic synchronicity. Draw them back. Open up the ancient gateways. Come over here. There's a charged object. Somebody's already demonized. They're led to the charged object. Um, so the, that side knows that they want those little gates. They want the big gates open. Mm. That Cigarettes. makes me think of CERN, man. Yep. Something's going on there that is not good. But you know, and the and the concept of the, the charged objects is very much like that Friday the Thirteenth television series, where they had to go out and retrieve all of these. And, and in the chat room, they mentioned a, a haunted collector program, which I've not seen, but apparently is something similar, where you've got objects. Warehouse Thirteen, which is sort of a comic take on this whole thing, where they've got these objects that need to be collected and retrieved because they're dangerous. They've got something charging them to make people do things they don't want to do. Again, it's comedy, so it's okay. Yeah. It's not. It's not real. Um, but if, in fact, these things are real, and we can see from Scripture, and it makes a lot of sense when you understand this paradigm, that it wasn't God being vindictive against these people who rejected him. It was, let's protect the Hebrews. Don't take anything from the... And the one guy who did, it's like, okay, sorry, we've got to stone you, your whole family, and we everything into a pit. Because um, if you go to Second Kings again, and this is very important, uh, the king of Moab... Uh, he weaponized the power. When he, when he was losing to Israel, sacrificed his son yeah. to the God, and then all of a sudden the, the, the Moabite soldiers, the, a rage. They, all of a sudden a uh, non-human enhancement came to them, mm-hmm. and they beat Israel at that time anyway. Yeah. Jehoshaphat, right? Yeah. yeah, and so you have, you have, uh, then you have Manasseh. The, the issue there is if there's no one to stop anything, it's it, like moss on a rock. He got every starry host, everything – once you open one door, another door, another door, another door, another door, all the way to Moloch, to where how can a man, a father, be convinced, I'm going to put my child through this burning, torturous, we're going to smell the flesh burning sacrifice, mm. and it's going to gain me something. Um, but that's what that when and that's in the, and they had the Asherah poles in the temple, so the the encroachment, the audacity outside. Mm. So in the Old Testament. Without God doing that, what do we do? Let let cannibalistic, baby eating, blood drinking, uh, you know, transmuting of humans continue. Um, 
God has a right to do this. Yeah. And and thank 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 him that he does. And, and the, the uh, whole the whole like Molech uh you know child burning, you know, putting children through the fire thing is uh is horrific, but when you read the Bible and realize that Moses was warning the Hebrews about it circa 1500 BC and then Jeremiah was warning the Hebrews about it circa you know about 700 years later, this wasn't a short-term fad in the Holy Land. This was something that went on for hundreds and hundreds of years. Uh, we just have about a minute left, fellas. Uh, very quickly, uh, what do you see coming down the pike, uh, and how do we prepare for it? And I know it's not a lot of time to give an answer here, but uh, <laughs> we're up against a hard break at the top of the hour here. Real quick, uh, more confusion, more deception, more destabilization in a broad way, the frog in the kettle, but we're moving to the events, the big events. I, I agree. It's just I think we're going to see more and more uh, growth in the paranormal. Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. We all seem to agree that we're coming close to the coming of the Son of Man. Start looking at the days of Noah, all 950 years worth of them. <laughs> A lot of weird stuff. The website's the gentleman you've been hearing tonight, uh, Russ Dizdar, ShatterTheDarkness.net. He's also the host of the Preemption broadcast. You'll find a link for that at the website there. Uh, Rob Skiba, SeedTheSeries.com. Also, your Babylon Rising 2012 blog, is that available through the website? It is, uh, SeedTheSeries.com forward slash blog. And Jeff Patty, who is writing at uh, ProphecyMatters.com, and an excellent presentation today from what I've heard on uh, vampirism. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we uh, appreciate all of you staying up late with us. All of you here in the room tonight at the Radisson Amen. Motel, thank you for being up late with us tonight. Uh, my name is Derek Gilbert. This will be posted in the archives at vftb.net. And uh, the video of the uh, presentation here tonight, the uh, discussion, available on the DVD. Uh, we're live in Branson, the Future Congress on Emerging Threats and Challenges 2011. Uh, we thank you for staying up late uh, with us tonight. And uh, remember, until next time, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I'm Derek Gilbert. This is A View from the Bunker. <laughs>